Welcome to the Rantings of a Maniac podcast. I am your host, Mark Meyer, and this is the show where I give you a sneak peek into the inner workings of my mind, things I'm passionate about, the things I loathe, the things that make me laugh or cry. It's all here in the podcast. Welcome back to another edition. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your feedback and your listenership. I know that if you tuned in for the last episode, that one was kind of a doozy. So this next one is going to be a little more, uh, let's say, not low-key, but it's going to be just as passionate, yet maybe not so ferocious. But then again, you know how I get when I go on my rants. Perhaps it will get a little bit passionate. Perhaps it will get a little bit maniacal. Time will tell guess we'll find out but actually at the top of the show we are going to do something different we have never had a call before this will be our first call and if you are listening to the show on anchor here on the feeding the monster podcast you have the option to leave a voice message tell us your thoughts in person you can leave a little message on the app itself we will play it on the show and we will answer it and this one comes from the number one fan of the feeding the monster podcast feed our good buddy Taymor. let's hear what he has to say thank you Taymor, for that call and thank you for the question Like I said, you can call into the Anchor app, leave a message, and we will totally recall that message, and we will will answer your questions if you have questions for us. So don't be shy. Feel free to call in to any one of the shows here at Feeding the Monster Podcast. Now, Taymor, to answer your question, there are a ton of projects a lot of these actors have been a part of, and there are a lot of projects that have yet to become, because you have to understand, a lot of the actors, a lot of the main characters, namely the young Stark children, most of their first gigs were Game of Thrones. And then a lot of them are straight out of drama school, so we haven't really received a lot of other projects outside of Game of Thrones from these actors. However, there are a few from the more uh, uh, well-established actors and veterans. And so one example I can think of is uh, Lena Headey. She has been in a number of different movies and series, and one that springs to mind automatically is the movie Dread. The uh, Alex Garland-written Dread, the adaptation of the 2000 AD comic book. And if you're thinking that this was a sequel to the Sylvester Stallone edition, think again. No, no. This one stands all on its own. It did not do well box office-wise because I don't think a lot of people understood what that movie was going to be, what it was. And I encourage you to go back and watch it if you think Her run as Cersei Lannister was diabolical. Wait until you see how vicious and absolutely cruel she is as the villainous mama character in Dread. I highly recommend you see that movie. It is great, and she is great. Another one I can think of is uh, Mark Addy, King Robert himself, Bobby B., He is most notable probably at this point for his role as King Robert and his his role in the film A Knight's Tale. But if you want to see him do something a little outside the norm, he was once in this series, this sitcom called Still Standing. 
and he played alongside Jamie Gertz, who is a prominent actor herself, and he is basically completely different than anything you would expect. He's just a, he's an American dad in in a in a you know the long and short of it. And he's very funny. He's very charming. I highly recommend if you want to see him do something that's more silly and sitcom based, check out Still Standing, among other things he's been a part of, but definitely that one. And then, of course, I have to tell you about this film back in 2010 called Black Death. And in here, you'll see two very prominent Game of Thrones actors, such as Carice Van Houten, or Houten, however she pronounces it. I apologize, but. Lady Melisandre herself, and also our own Ned Stark, Sean Bean. This movie takes place during the time of the bubonic plague, but also it has a supernatural twist to it, and the two of them really shine through, and you'll notice a lot of different faces of character actors throughout this movie, and one face you'll notice is future Academy Award winner Eddie Redmayne at this point, because in this movie... This was before he was really Eddie Redmayne. This was before the the Oscars, before he got super famous. But this one, I think, was what got him noticed as a very serious, dramatic actor. So, you get to see all those people shine in this movie. Highly recommend it. Don't listen to the critics. Give it a run for yourself. So, thank you again, Tamor, for the call. I hope these helped out, these suggestions. Now, to get to the main meat of today's topic and the today's topic we are going to talk about is a film from the MCU or the Marvel Cinematic Universe for those not in the know but I can't imagine who you are if you are listening to this podcast and you don't know about the MCU I'm here to talk about what I consider is the most underrated movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and by underrated, I mean it's a very good film. It tells a very unique and uh, clear story about a particular character, a particular Marvel character, but still doesn't get the recognition it fully deserves, or at least I think it fully deserves, and there's a lot of reasons behind that. But I am talking about the second movie that we ever got in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, 2008's The Incredible Hulk. Now, I know what you're probably asking yourself. Isn't The Incredible Hulk completely retconned? I mean, it wasn't that movie just out of canon? It doesn't count, right? It's not really the MCU. Well, I'm here to tell you you're wrong. It is in the MCU. It was the second film right after the first, Iron Man. We all love Iron Man, but... If you can believe it, they didn't know if Iron Man was going to succeed back then. None of us could possibly know. Much to our surprise, it does. And it does in spades. And personally, the next month when they released The Incredible Hulk as another standalone film, I was so surprised. Because doing an Incredible Hulk movie is hard. There is a lot of different kind of story points you have to hit to really nail who this character is. And you only have a finite time to do that. It's not like telling a story in the comic books. It's not like telling a story in a novel. It's a completely different medium. That's what a lot of people don't seem to understand with these adaptations. Movies are not comics. 
Oh, sure, they can be very visual now, and we can do an incredible amount of things uh, visually and stylistically in terms of CGI and the like in film today. However, it's still different. You still have to tell a cohesive story. And look no further than 2003's Ang Lee's Hulk movie. Ang Lee, or Ang Lee, however you want to pronounce it, he tried to make a comic book movie and turn it into more of an art film. And the problem is, while I uh, I tip my cap out of respect for what he was trying to do, it's very hard to make that work with a character like the Hulk. It's very difficult, and I think unanimously we can agree that that film just does not land where it needs to land. However, in The Incredible Hulk... We get a story about what he was originally intended to be when he was created. When Stan Lee created The Incredible Hulk, his mission was simple. He said, I'm going to make a monster and turn him into a superhero. Let's not forget, The Incredible Hulk comic books were about a monster. He was a monster, the Hulk. That was the whole point of it, that Bruce Banner, this, this scientist, this, uh, this lowly man, had to contain himself because within him was a monster of rage. It's completely a monster tale. And the thing that the movie The Incredible Hulk tried to do, and where I think it succeeds, is it told you a story about a monster. Just look at the way he looks, the Hulk, in the film. We see him at the, fir the, the first bit of, uh, of Hulk we get in the movie. He's shrouded in shadow. There's a lot of growls. There's a lot of destruction. We don't see him because what you don't see is even more terrifying, and that is by design. So when he's finally revealed in full light, it's almost like this grand revelation. It's the way his body is looks uh, with the. Uh, it almost looks like he's just made of uh, green muscle, like he has no skin at all. It's just it's just green muscle and vein and uh, the green eyes. You have to also let's take into account the movie is an homage to both the comic books of where it's created and also the very popular '70s TV show that everyone seemed to love about The Incredible Hulk, starring Lou Ferrigno and Bill Bixby. You even get the theme song for The Incredible Hulk TV show within this movie as a way of an homage. When Bruce starts to change into the Hulk, his eyes go green. That is directly from the TV series. So it's a healthy blend of both, here's the comic book story that we're trying to tell you, and here is the TV show elements that they invented for the show, but they still work. Even the origin of how Banner became Hulk is in that mo opening montage we see, it's, it's, it's ripped straight from the TV series. And my point is, how do you tell a Hulk story and get all of the people, the mainstream audience, that maybe isn't as familiar on board? Well, you tell it in a unique way, by blending the things that worked before and put it all together. 
and before meaning the comic book of which it's created, which it's derived from, and the TV series of which the Main Street audience was more or less introduced to. Now, why do I think this movie is underrated? Is it because that I think the Hulk just looks cool? Or is it because the action is great? Well, the answer is yes to both. However, also, as I said, it's hard to make a Hulk film. Because, in a sense, you have to find the dynamic. The Hulk is not just a monster film. The Hulk is also a Jekyll and Hyde story. That is where I think the Hulk succeeds in uh, uh, later movies in the MCU when Mark Ruffalo is brought in because they explore the element of the Jekyll and Hyde nature. Think about it. In those movies with Ruffalo, Banner always calls Hulk the other guy. You know, it's like they are two entities that want nothing to do with one another, much like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Whereas in this movie, they don't really treat it as such. It's more of Bruce Banner has this monster within him, and it is important that he never let his his heart rate exceed to a certain point, because if he does, then the monster is going to come out, and the monster is going to hurt people, it's going to cause destruction, and Bruce just can't have that on his conscience. It's very much a monster film, and they very much went out of their way to make a monster film, but also giving you the space to realize that the Hulk, while monstrous, is not a complete monster. He has feelings. He has thoughts. And this is all put into perspective when he sees Betty. Betty Ross, his love interest, you know, the the classic love interest for Bruce Banner. Uh, This is the only thing that I think this movie doesn't succeed is some of the casting. And by some, I mean, I don't think Liv Tyler quite lives up to the Betty Ross uh, uh, characterization. But that's neither here nor there. We're talking about the positives here. But the Hulk, he recognizes Betty. That, That is the moral center that Banner and the Hulk can both agree on. Keep Betty safe, keep her out of harm's way, no matter the cost, no matter what happens everywhere else. And to further the point that this is a monster movie, General Ross is, has been con- constantly hunting down Banner for five years, I believe they say. It's been five years since he uh, first was infected with the gamma radiation and became the Hulk, and... Ross wants badly to turn that monster into a new weapon for the United States government, of which is pretty crazy, but that's on brand for General Ross. So he's hunting this monster. It's it's a monster hunt movie. You don't get a hunt for a monster if this isn't a monster movie. I mean, that that's exactly what it is. And then uh, it just... Furthermore... It's the supporting cast of characters that make this movie succeed because now you have to figure out how to give the Hulk a proper villain. You can't just give him this general in the army and expect that he's going to be a formidable foe for the Incredible Hulk because, as we all know, Hulk is the strongest there is. You have to pit him up against a physical force. And classically, the most physical force counterpart to Hulk has been the Abomination. 
And that's when we're introduced to Emil Blonsky. Now, there are a lot of things about the uh, original characterization of Emil Blonsky that probably doesn't work. However, you put in a high-class actor like Tim Roth in the role, you change his backstory just a little bit, but you still give him that drive the drive that he needs that fully embraces the character. And here's here's his drive, okay? Blonsky, as we see him in the film, is a soldier, is a soldier that lives to serve. At one point, Ross even asks him, you know, you're old enough to be a colonel. Why don't you just be a colonel so you can get out of the trenches? And Blonsky says, no, no, I'm a fighter, and I will be a fighter for as long as I can be. He's almost like the reverse Captain America, where everyone makes the joke that Captain America is a man out of time, a soldier who cannot live without a war to fight. And of course, throughout Steve's journey, he's trying to determine whether or not that's true, because he doesn't want to fight all the time. He just feels like he has to, whereas Blonsky does not want to live in a world where there is no fight, because that's what he knows he can do. And that's all he cares about doing is fighting. And how do you take a fighter and keep him fighting? Well, you give him power. You enhance him. So here comes Ross who says, we have super soldier serum that we're dusting off, we're pulling out of the freezer, and we can give you so that you can maybe withstand a physical fight against the Hulk. And Blonsky cannot turn that away. And through a series of, of events, he becomes the abomination. He finally embodies that power that he's been longing for. Now he never has to stop fighting. He can be a fighter forever. He, in fact, the more he fights, the uh, better his chances are that he's going to get stronger and stronger. This is what makes his villainy so important. Because Hulk may be the strongest there is and get stronger the matter he gets but how can he compete against something that he's not used to fighting and that is a physical threat that is just as strong if not maybe even stronger than he is because Hulk fights to survive Blonsky the abomination fights because he enjoys to fight and he'll never stop until it's proven that he is the ultimate power but even before that, we are introduced in the movie to Dr. Stearns, Samuel Stearns, who comic book readers will know becomes the leader. We even get a tease at one point that the gamma-radiated blood sample that he took from Bruce enters his bloodstream. So it's implied that he becomes the leader. Not only that, the leader uses his gamma-radiated uh, uh, hyper-intelligence to create a mass army of basically mute, gamma-mutated beings using blood samples and using his incredible brain, but they're never the same as Hulk. It's never perfected because even as they state in the movie, Banner becoming Hulk was a freak accident, but the goal is to make it better. So in the movie, Dr. Stearns uses one test subject, a blood sample, and turns it into 
hundreds or dozens, maybe hundreds of samples and as test subjects. And this right here is a big clue as to what the leader would go on to do in subsequent stories. He would try and perfect the Hulk by making a bunch of people gamma uh, uh, poison them with gamma, make them these horrible, disfigured, albeit strong creatures, but never officially a perfected Hulk. See, this is on brand. It was all there in the movie. Therefore, along with the tease that Dr. Stearns survived and is now infected with gamma-radiated blood, he will become the leader. He will then go on to continue his work and use his test subjects on willing participants, thus creating a gamma-radiated army. This is on brand. This is what the leader does in the comics. This is what he would have done in subsequent movies. All that to say, this movie had everything a Hulk movie would need. An introduction to unique, proper villains. A grand fight between the Hulk and a Hulk-like physical uh, uh, counterpart. All... culminating in the fact that the people are now seeing that the Hulk is not the monster. Other people are the monster. People that abuse power are the true monsters. Whereas Banner is gifted with this strength and does not want to use it. There's a great line in Avengers Age of Ultron when Natasha, Black Widow, is flirting with Banner. And she says, all of my friends are fighters, and yet I'm attracted to the one guy who avoids the fight because he knows he'll win. And that's a very powerful thing because that is very much who Banner is. He doesn't want to fight. He's a scientist. He's a pacifist. And yet within him is the strongest thing uh, in the world. Maybe not the universe, but... Who's to say? Who's to say how far he could possibly go if Hulk's limits are truly put to the uh, test? So all the ingredients for a sequel to this movie were put in place, yet this movie also stands on its own as a proper Incredible Hulk film. Because you get the monster. You get the monster movie where people are hunting him down. He saves the damsel in distress showing you that it's more of a Beauty and the Beast type of situation there. Even from a simple shot of the two of them, uh, uh, Betty and the Hulk, sitting together in a cave while it rains, because he's just got to sit there and relax. All he wants to do is protect her. Again, she is the moral compass for both Banner and the Hulk. And none of the villains die, which is a plus because we see uh, villains kind of come and go in the MCU. That's been one of the biggest criticisms of the MCU is how each villain of each movie seems like just villain of the week because it's a one and done. Oh, they're here for the movie and then they're gone. We'll never see them again. In The Incredible Hulk, none of the villains die. So... The storytelling possibilities are ripe. They're all there. And I got news for you folks. They're still alive. 
those villains are still around and they can come up with some clever way as to uh, uh, as to why we haven't seen them since then. But it's all there. And they are still there. We get the motivation of Dr. Stearns for doing what he does when he when he tries to cure Bruce in the movie. We see him experience the Hulk for the first time, and he is mesmerized by it. He's in, he is inspired. He is kind of, uh, uh, dare I say, thirsty for it, because what he is basically seeing is a god in physical form. And that just, you can see it in his face, and it's portrayed brilliantly by Tim Blake Nelson. You can see why his progression as the leader would happen. The motivation is all there to perfect what is possibly imperfectible. If that's a word, it's a word now, I'm using it, I'm coining it. The motivation for continued growth. Growth for his character, maybe, maybe not growth in the terms of something positive, because obviously the the leader is a villain, but growth for his character in terms of story, where he started as a humble uh, science professor at this university in New York, and now becomes this gamma radiated super brain, and he can show, he can show the world what it's true potential could be with a little bit of help from gamma radiation the problem is people won't survive it not everyone because as we go back to the line banner was a freak accident the hulk was a freak accident and isn't that the basis of all great monster movies a freak accident a freak occurrence as the inciting incident and leads us down a journey of said monster but who is the true monster? Is it a an old general who's neglected his family, neglected his daughter in order to pursue a man that he believes he can just own as property? Or is it a man who is accidentally infected with gamma radiation that turns him into a giant green monster, rage-fueled, that only wants to be left alone? You tell me, kids. And you tell me why this movie doesn't need a sequel. I'll wait, because the answer is it does. Now, there are logistics as to why this won't happen. And that's a shame, but that's the way it goes. I know. But I'm just saying, in the early days, I think it would have been extremely beneficial it's just a shame because all the ingredients were here. They were all there for the the continuation of Hulk's story. And you could say, well, we got that now. And yeah, we did. But he serves merely as a means to an end to help other characters. He's basically the biggest supporting character of the MCU at this point. But he deserves another solo shot. He deserves to have the story that was laid out in The Incredible Hulk to continue. We need to see the leader. 
We need to see the growth of abomination. Or maybe we don't. Maybe we don't need those stories. All that to say, visually, story, uh, thematically, everything that we needed for a Hulk movie to exist within this newly established Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's all there. I encourage you to go back and check out The Incredible Hulk. You may not enjoy it as much because, well, it's not Mark Ruffalo playing the role. It's it's uh, Edward Norton. But Edward is still a fantastic actor. He still does a tremendous job in this role. I'm saying it's worth a look again. And that'll do it for this edition of Rantings of a Maniac. Remember to go check me out on Twitter and Instagram at MarkTheBat and be sure to subscribe the channel feeding the monster podcast feed you can check out all of our subsequent shows over there including this one including the hoot and holler including spreading the weird and almost infamous and of course our main show are we wearing pants you'll have to tune in to find out if we are or if we're not chances are we might But that'll do it. This is Mark Kameyer from Rantings of a Maniac saying, Hulk smash. Howdy, folks. It's good old Hillbilly Scribs here, and I'd like to invite you to join me every single Monday morning here on the Feedin' the Monster podcast feed for my show, The Hootin' Holler. And this is about a 10 to 15 minute variety show where, you know, I do my darndest to help all of you good folks get your week started off with a smile and a chuckle. So please join us and have a glorious week.